beware of false teachers. We'll read just through verse number three. For now, I know I have up to verse nine listed on there, but we'll just read through verse three. Second Peter two and verse one, two and three. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for an opportunity to worship you today in spirit and in truth. I pray that you would bless now as we come to your word and seek to find the truth concerning false prophets. Lord, we love you. We love the truth. We want to know the truth. We want to be free from lies and from error. God, if someone is here today and they're believing a lie regarding their salvation, I pray that you would make that very clear from your word. God, if there is a Christian in here today that is struggling in life because they're listening to or reading after a false teacher, help them to understand and help them to see clearly that error. Put them on the path of truth and righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, Very recently, there was two tourists in Hawaii captured on camera and as they there were these there were these people standing on this dock next to the ocean and all of a sudden out of the corner of their eye these people and it's recorded but there is there's this minivan with two tourists in the minivan maybe you saw this on the news and they're coming along at a fairly decent speed they're not going slowly and they come down the road and of course at the end of the road is the ocean they come flying down the road right into the ocean That's one of the ladies. That's the minivan. Can you see that? They were staring at their GPS. There's a photo of the GPS. One of those little Magellans or kind of one of those things. Kind of down where the cup holders are. And they're driving down the road and staring at the GPS... And they go right into the ocean. 
And we're looking at this lady. She looks like she's kind of smiling and laughing, if you can tell. The picture is kind of fuzzy. But she doesn't look concerned. She just put her rental car in the ocean. I would be concerned. What's that going to cost me? And two uh, locals dove in. I mean, the water was deep enough for them to dive. They dove in, swam up, and got the ladies out to safety. The van sunk. We have a lot of people nowadays that are like those ladies in the spiritual sense. They're looking at their devices. They're looking at the beautiful cover of a book in a bookstore. They're listening to a podcast that has a very charismatic host. Nowadays, some of the biggest false teachers are those who are actually not even Christians. They may be from some other religion or they may claim no religion. We only follow science, something like that. There's so many people that are looking so intently at something to guide them in their life. They're not taking the time to see where it's taking them in life. We're to take the time and go back just a few verses into 2 Peter chapter 1. It says in verse number 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. I love the way that's worded. When we were made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Remember who is speaking here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Peter, the apostle Peter. He's saying what we are teaching you is not a cunningly devised fable. It's not a, just a story. It's not a myth. We were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. And he says of his majesty, meaning, and he goes on to say, verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's speaking about that time that he saw Jesus transfigured from when he looked just like another human being to he was changed to his glorified person when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. We don't have time to go and look at all of those verses. He saw him change. He saw him go from Jesus looks just like another Jewish man even though he was doing miracles and so on and so forth, but he didn't look any different. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We're not, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. These are not just incredible myths that a lot of people have decided to believe that have grown over the years. Verse 18, and this voice. So notice, he saw Jesus with his own eyes. He's an eyewitness. He heard the voice from heaven. He saw him transfigured. This voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Yes, he was an eyewitness. Yes, he saw the transfiguration. Yes, he heard the voice from heaven. Yes, he saw Jesus change from just a regular human body to a glorified body, the body like he would have in heaven. Now, yes, he saw all of this, but we're not just taking Peter's word for it. 
we have a more sure word of prophecy. All of the prophecies from the Old Testament agree with everything that took place in Jesus's life. And the eyewitnesses agree with the prophecies, agree with what actually happened. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. He's saying, look, pay attention to the word of prophecy. And how do we pay attention to it? How do we look into it? As unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this, meaning when we look into God's word, oftentimes we don't understand it right away. It's a sure word of prophecy, but oftentimes we don't understand it right away. It is the light that shines in darkness. It is the pure truth of God about God and about what has occurred in the life of Jesus, in the life of the apostles, and that which has occurred previous to that in the prophets in the Old Testament. But we don't always completely understand everything right away. It takes time for the light to come on, the light of understanding, the light of, oh, that's what he's talking about. It's not because it's a myth, it's not a myth. It's not that we're waiting for a voice, he's not doing that now. It's not that we're waiting to see Jesus bodily, we're not waiting for that now in the sense of him coming back beyond the rapture. We're not waiting for him to appear to us in our bedroom, so to speak. We're not looking for him to come and transform before us. He's already done that. He's given us a more sure word of prophecy, the truth of God's word itself. So we need to look. We need to study. We need to learn. We need to have a heart that is open to God's word. A whole sermon was preached here. I preached a whole sermon on dimmer switch. We're like, if you go to a room and there's sometimes room, a, a room will have a switch. You just push it and the light comes on. Other times there's a little thing you slide and the light slowly come on. And that's the way truth oftentimes comes into our mind. That's how we slowly come to the understanding of what God is trying to say. Don't become discouraged if you don't understand everything. Why are you saying this? We'll look at the transition in just a moment. Oftentimes, false teachers will try to give you a shortcut to understanding the truth. And it's not the truth. It's a lie. Oh, when I come to church, I don't understand everything. Nobody understands everything. Well, I'm going to go and listen to this other person. They're so, they make everything so simple. Good teachers can help us understand. That's good and that's important. But we cannot make Christianity so simple that it's no longer Christianity. Let me say that again. We must understand that it is a false teacher that is trying to water down Christianity so that it's so simple it's no longer Christianity. I remember asking a friend asking me when we lived in Nepal, and of course that is a tea culture. Hot tea. They grow tea there. And they drink tea all the time. And they asked me, they said, well, what's the difference between this kind of Christianity and that kind of Christianity? 
I'm like, well, there are differences. He's like, what are the differences? And we were drinking tea. And I said, what goes in your chia? They call it chia. Chai is what we would probably say here. But chia, what goes in your chia? I said, tea. Masala. Like uh, cinnamon and like good spices, right? Milk, dude, they call it. Right, brother? Yeah, my brother's from Nepal. Uh, chia, right? And you put, you put in the milk and you boil it. Well, if you take out the milk, is it still tea? It is. It's not chia anymore, but it's still tea, right? What if you take out the masala and it's just hot water and tea? Yeah, it's still tea. Well, if you take out the tea, is it still tea? No, it's not tea anymore. So you can, you can take some specific things out of Christianity, meaning I don't understand all of those things, but there are some things in Christianity that are absolutely necessary to be there or it's no longer Christianity. And this is what he's talking about. You have a more sure word of prophecy. Notice the emphasis. Remember, when the apostle Peter is writing this, he doesn't say chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1, 2, 3, chapter 2, switch. He doesn't do that. It's one letter. So notice the emphasis of it's about the word of God and a more sure word of prophecy. And then he transitions to chapter 2, verse 1 and says, but there were false prophets. Notice the contrast. God's word, false prophets. How do we know that someone's a false prophet? They do not know, nor do they rightly handle the word of God. There will be some elements of truth in there or they will never lead anyone to believe and follow them. They may even name the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter number 20, and I'll read this as soon as I find it for the sake of time. He says in Acts 20 and verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. We must be very cautious of a teacher who doesn't teach all the counsel of God. There are some negative things in this book. We agree on that? Can we just say that there are some anti-cultural elements to this book? There are some people that reject Christianity or will modify or change Christianity so that the parts that are anti-cultural are not a part of that particular church or teaching or book or podcast series. The apostle Peter, before he gets into the false prophets, he declares, first of all, you're going to know false prophets. If you know God's word, you're going to know the real from the false. If you know God's word is true and can be trusted you may not understand everything because it's on a dimmer switch. And of course, he didn't say dimmer switch. That's something that we would understand, right? But he's talking about how the sun comes up in the morning. It doesn't just bing, it's on, even though sometimes it feels like that, right? And it comes up slowly. 
We must be very cautious in somebody trying to cut so many corners on Christianity. Well, some of the words are hard to understand. Maybe we should learn what they mean. Nobody talks like that anymore. That's not the point. These are important truths and doctrines. Justification, what does that even mean anymore? I mean that Jesus is, by the way, I'm talking right now of people actively right now in this day and age that have churches, that have, that have teaching, they have conferences, they have lecture series, they have books. Ah, the blood of Christ, I'm not really sure if that's necessary. It means kind of like icky sticky. It's just, I mean, like, what, what does that even It's kind of an ancient kind of a... So let's just kind of cut. You say, well, Pastor Corey, what's, why, are we, why are we a Baptist church? Specifically, why are we a, a fundamental Baptist church? You say, I don't know what that means. We're going to go past the van. The fundamental beliefs of historical Christianity have been these. There are other churches that believe these things, and they don't call themselves a Baptist church. But these are the fundamental beliefs of historical Christianity. The inspiration and thus divine authority of the Bible. We look to God's word as the authority for our faith, not to creeds, not to previous generations. Well, back in the day, we don't go back in the day. We go back to the Bible. Amen. I've asked before, not in this group, but in another group in a different time. If I say something as the pastor and God's word says something different, which one is correct? God's word is correct. Let's just say, and this would never happen, but let's just say my pastor were to come from Arkansas and he were to preach and he would say something that is different than what the Bible says. Who would be correct? God's word would be correct. If I read an ancient church father from back many, many years ago, maybe even thousands of years ago, and they were to say something, but God's word says something different. Which one is correct? Well, God's word would be correct. You say, well, where do we get that teaching from? That the Bible is the foundation of faith and practice. Peter just said, and it says it in many, many places in God's word. Number two, Christ's deity. What does deity mean? Deity means he is God in the flesh. Doesn't mean he became a God. It doesn't mean some people teach. Jesus became God after he died on the cross. That's false. Jesus became God after he rose from the dead. That's false. Well, the virgin birth wasn't really virgin birth because that's impossible. That's exactly right. It is impossible. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It means that it was a miracle. It was super natural. Christ's deity, the virgin birth, the blood atonement, and the bodily resurrection, which we just studied for several weeks. If somebody tries to teach you these things are not so, they are a false teacher. 
They cannot be trusted. We do not need to go and read their stuff or listen to their podcast or watch their YouTubes. They will be charismatic. They will have an incredible lighting system. They will have the most up-to-date cameras. They'll have a beautiful smile that's three shades wider than anybody. Their teeth will be three shades wider than anybody you've ever seen before. But when they smile, they make me feel things. But they're so nice. Is that how we determine truth? Based on how nice people are? Based on how white their teeth are or how incredible their lighting kit or their, uh, how much money they can spend on cameras? But everybody loves them. Surely they can't be false. What does the Bible say about false teachers? It says they will have a big following and they will make a lot of money. (laughs) We'll get to that in just a moment. Number three, personal second coming of Christ. Personal second coming of Christ. Bodily, he will come bodily. He will come back in power and great glory. Uh, Number four, the lost condition of all mankind. We call this the depravity. This is a cardinal doctrine. This is absolutely fundamental to the Christian faith. If If we are mostly good people that just need a little boost into heaven, why did Christ have to come and die on the cross to give us a boost? He didn't come. He didn't come. He didn't come to give us a payment plan and say, I'm going to show you the way to live. And if you follow like me, then you'll be okay. That's what Buddha taught. Jesus is not Buddha. He's not even in the same category as Buddha. He's deity. And he rose from the dead to prove that. Salvation by repentance and faith. Grace without works. I have to have a change of heart to accept Jesus Christ as my savior. It is not just something that happens in my brain. Yes, I believe in Jesus. It's something I have to intelligently agree with. But the change, because I agree with it intelligently, it means there's a change in my heart. And now I'm no longer trusting in myself. I'm trusting in him and what he did for me on the cross. That's biblical repentance. And faith. It's not, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. Where does that come from? It comes from the Bible. Well, but, you know, I don't really, but uh, here's, here's, here's one of the big ones. Everybody, I just think everyone should live their truth. How many of you guys have heard that one? Live their truth. Well, they're living their truth. I'm living my truth. Jesus said, I am the way. The truth. Is that what he said? He's the truth. Now, keep in mind, this is the, this is the book of spiritual truth. God has created us to be curious. Thankfully, otherwise we'd be bored, right? Or we'd just be like the animals and we'd just kind of do whatever we do just by instinct. But we're curious. And that's where we get science and we get all these incredible discoveries. And we, I mean, the tablet, that's not even, how old are tablets and devices like this? Inventors and it's not the truth about everything. It's the truth about God. It's about, this is the book of spiritual truth. Amen. And so it's grace without works. And then six is eternal doom and hell of the unconverted. This is a biblical truth. I can't believe you believe in hell. Look, if there is one doctrine that most normal people would rather not be, it would probably be hell. It sounds awful. 
But listen, we didn't come up with this. If it's in his word, we have a choice to either believe it or not believe it. And if it's in there, we need to believe it because it's the truth. We don't fully understand God's holiness and his righteousness. We don't fully understand that. And we believe these things by faith. Eternal blessedness of the saved in heaven. We are all one day who are saved going to go to heaven to be with him forever. So these are the basic fundamentals of the faith. This is what it really and truly means historically. This is what it means to be a fundamentalist. It doesn't have anything to do with the kind of music you listen to. It has nothing to do with how you dress when you come to church or how you dress out there. It has nothing to do with dress standards. It has nothing to do with anything other than these beliefs. John R. Rice, who was a fundamentalist back in previous generations, said this in one of his books. Let us say then that no one can be saved who does not understand from the gospel that he is a sinner, that Christ died for his sin, that Jesus is God proved by his resurrection. And that, of course, involves his virgin birth and his sinless life. He must believe that the scriptures are the reliable word of God. Now, a sinner who trusts in Christ may not have heard fully about the virgin birth of Christ, but when he hears it, he knows that it is the kind of savior he is trusting. He may not be fully acquainted with the Bible's claim for infallible accuracy, but he relies on these statements of the gospel as inspired and infallibly correct without error. It takes a heart acceptance of these great truths, not necessarily an accurate theological definition of them for one to be saved. If someone is truly saved and they look at that list and they say, yeah, that's true. But if they start taking and they start cutting some of those things out, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the blood of Christ. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the virgin birth. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the bodily resurrection then they're not really a Christian. How can they be? How can they be truly saved if Christ died on the cross just to be a good example, but his blood doesn't pay for our sin? What is paying for our sin? Our good works? Well, there isn't really any sin. Well, then why are we here? Why are we believing in anything? There are some people that try to dilute, 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 dilute and make it just as friendly and cuddly as possible. Listen, if somebody has if somebody has cancer, you try to make that person as comfortable as possible, but then you have to give them some kind of treatment to deal with the problem. What kind of hospital, what kind of doctor would say, oh, you know, cancer just kind of have some negative overtones. We're not going to call it the C word anymore. We're just going to try to call it something else that's a little bit more cuddly and a little bit more friendly. Okay, I don't care what you call it. But we need to try to fix the problem or I'm going to die. You can call it anything you want. But give me the treatment, please. Well, we don't even like to use treatment anymore. We're just going to try to look at you and say, you know what, just for your feelings sake, so you don't feel bad and feel sad and so you don't have you know, a negative uh, stigmatism to you. We're just going to say, you're just going to be okay. 
You're just going to come to the hospital every day and just get a big hug from your doctor. Big hug, squeeze, okay, go back home. Come back the next day. Oh, is this the cancer patient? Yeah, but we don't do any of that chemo or any of the pills or any of the, any of the treatments anymore because there's just, you see how silly that is? And if we think that's silly when it comes to a physical illness, what about the fact that our souls are sick with sin? Jesus himself warns us from the very beginning of his ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, I'll read for you Matthew 7 and verse number 15. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They look like us, they act like us, they know some of the words we know, but they don't really believe. They're not true believers. They are there to sow the seeds of doubt and to sow the seeds of another belief system. There is truth and there are lies. There are sheep and there are wolves. Not every person or teacher is safe to listen to. Please listen, and you are, but please listen. The abundance of teachers out there is staggering. We have a collection of pastor friends around Canada, and we have a big internet. We have a big uh, email internet. We have a big email communication group. And it's got to be at least once a month. Somebody pops on that group and asks the pastors around Canada and says, hey, I've got this person in my church. They started following this person online. Is this person good or bad? Or they will, they'll either ask the question or they will tell directly, this person online teaches this, this, and this. And it's bad stuff. Warning the other pastors of what? Of false prophets. You know the thing about false prophets and false teachers is that they are so good at what they do that when you show them, when you try to show somebody who follows just verse after verse after verse after verse after verse, there's no convincing them. There's no convincing them. We must be cautious. Christ died for every person and every person can be redeemed if they are willing to repent, meaning change of mind resulting in change of direction and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. But not every person has done that. Not every person believes that. Not every person is content with you believing in Christ. Jesus said in John 8 and verse number 44, speaking directly to false teachers, the Pharisees, right to their face, he said this. Notice the the shepherd of our souls defending truth. Notice his love for us. Amen? Uh, we, we, we always, we, there, there, there's a big problem in Toronto with coyotes. They put up signs, beware of coyotes. And everybody goes walking through the woods with a big stick. All right? 
You can't just let your little puppy dog out the back door because there could be coyotes. What kind of an owner? They'd probably be in big trouble, right? Especially in this city where they love pets. What kind of an owner would just be like, oh, you know, coyotes, whatever, just, you know, go out there, puppy, play? No. We should be cautious. We've had people tell us, your dog's so little. You've got to be beware of those coyotes. They're, the, the little ravine is in the, and the stream is right next door, and we keep an eye out. And whenever he does the little bark, 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 little tiny baby puppy bark, we just poke our head out the window. Why? To make sure some coyote's not, you know, coming after him. You know, that's what Jesus does for us. Every, look, everything cannot be truth. Everything cannot be trusted. With babies, we're constantly, but it, it's, it's a whole new experience when your little baby goes from carrying to now they're crawling. That's when everybody spends thousands of dollars to have everything, get those special little child locks and everything in their house. that are impossible to open, by the way, for adults. <laughs> Trying to open up the cabinet. Why? Because they'll, they'll grab anything and put it in their mouth. They, they don't know. Well, it's mean to tell him no. You should just, you're going to spoil his personality. No, it's going to kill him. You can't eat Legos that you find on the ground. You just can't. You'll choke. We've got to understand that if we are going to live a life of faith, if we're going to mature, we have to accept the fact that everything that is taught is not okay to listen to and ingest into our heart. We have to be cautious. We have to be cautious. Chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2 deals with, I'll read uh, John 8 just, in just a moment. 2 Peter chapter number 2 deals with false prophets in its, in its entirety. But Jesus looked at false teachers, the Pharisees, looked right at them and said this, John eight forty four, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Who is the real enemy? Those false teachers are not really the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Satan is the enemy. He hates God and he hates us and he hates the truth. And he will come and he will try to shed just enough doubt on the truth to change our direction in life. That's what he wants to do. He wants to change our direction in life. We'll look at two verses and we'll be done. We've already looked at this one, but let's look once again. So this is in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 20 and 21. So 2 Peter 1 20 and 21. We'll read those two verses and then we'll go over to one other verse. I'm just going to try to give you, I can't for sake of time go through every single, and I think nowadays it'd be impossible, go through every single false teacher and give you a big list of names. That'd be impossible to do. 
So my goal in this message and in uh, the next message or two, the next few Sundays, Lord willing, will be just to give you a couple of key truths for you to be able to say, okay, should I read this book? Should I listen to this podcast? Should I listen to this or watch this YouTube? Should I follow this person and listen to what they have to say? Should I repost this on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, and whatever it may be? Can I trust what this person has to say? The first thing is, what is their position on scripture? Again, it's not, it's not a mistake in the wisdom of God for Peter to go from this is scripture and tr- scripture can be trusted to these are false prophets and they change the truth. We need to know the truth and we need to ask the question, what is this person's position on God's word? What's their position on God's word? Chapter one, verse 20, 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Do they say God's word is from God or do they say I have a special understanding of God's word that no one else understands? Uh, The Bible says it's not of private interpretation. That means that I cannot have a secret understanding of scripture that nobody else knows about. So come to my church and I'll tell you the secrets. That can't be trusted. It's not a private interpretation. It's not by the will of man. It's not something that we come up with. It's something that God has given to us. What is their position on scripture? Do they have a high value of scripture? The very first thing, the inspiration and divine authority of the Bible. Is that their position? Second one is this. First John should be just a few pages. First John four. What is their position on scripture? Do they hold it high? Do they trust it? Are they constantly bringing doubt upon what it has to say? And especially if they're trying to say, I have a special interpretation and nobody ever in history of Christianity has seen this but me. That is a big warning sign. Do not trust them. Or if they say something along the lines of, I have a new revelation from God. No, you don't. No, you don't. (laughs) You're not getting new writings. You're not getting new scriptures from God. God doesn't do that. He's done with that. The scripture is closed. The canon is closed. And that's a whole nother study. But what is their, what is their estimation of scripture? And two, what is their position on Jesus Christ? What is, what is their estimation on scripture? How do they, how do they treat it? And two, how do they treat Jesus Christ? Second, uh, sorry, 1 John 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets. You see, there it is. 
Peter and John are not the same person, but they're warning against the same thing. Jesus warned against false teachers and false prophets. Peter is warning against false prophets. John is warning against false prophets. If we had time, we'd go to Paul's writings. Paul warns many, many times against false prophets. Many false prophets. Notice, notice the word here. Back in this time, many false prophets are gone out into the world. Verse 2, hereby know you the Spirit of God. How do we know? You know what? I just, I don't want, I don't want to follow religion. I just, I'm just spiritual. How many guys have heard that? Matter of fact, I've even seen it uh, at the uh, retirement home that we minister in. They actually have a poster up on the wall. There's two kinds of people out there. There are those who are religious and then there are those who are just spiritual. Try the spirits. Just because something feels spiritual and it feels kind of like, oh, it's so peaceful and it's so loving and it's so warm and it just sounds so good. Doesn't mean you can trust it. Hereby, know ye the spirit of God. We can trust the spirit of God. We can trust God's word and we can trust his spirit. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. It's really a simple test. And honestly, friends, if you just take that one test, what do they say about Jesus? Do they say he's come in the flesh? If the answer is no, you've really just helped yourself. And 95% of stuff, you're just like, you know, I'm not even going to mess with that. Don't go to the bookstore. Don't go on Amazon and don't, don't. It is incredible on Amazon, all of the suggested garbage that's there to buy. It's incredible. Everybody wants to connect with God. And there are false teachers that always sidestep the deity of Christ to try to get you there. There's always secret writings. There's always secret teachings. There's always new revelations. There's always a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Here's my last comment and we'll be done. Everybody look at me. Notice he's teaching about false prophets, how to determine if you can believe them or not based on what is their position on whether or not Jesus came in the flesh. Is he God who came in the flesh to die for our sin or not? And then in verse four, he makes it very practical. He says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If we choose to be deceived by not reading the Bible and not following this acid test that God has given us, on what is their position of Jesus Christ, we will not be living a life of victory.
we will be living a life that the truth is what allows us to have this position in verse number four. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. False teachers do not lead us to that conclusion. Though they may promise that conclusion, you'll have more victory. You'll feel better. You'll be more successful. Your teeth will be whiter. I keep on picking on that. It's so funny. All these incredible false teachers. You see a picture of them. And their teeth are bling. Whoa, man. There's something about a beautiful white smile that just sells books. And you get it and you read it and you ingest it and you become a part and you listen. You can't miss an episode. And you tell your friends. Are you walking in spiritual victory? No. Why? Because you're walking in spiritual lies. Lies lead to destruction. Lies lead to bondage. Truth leads us to victory. It's right back to where we started. Jesus said, the truth will make you free. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.